This call is being recorded. Business Friday brought to you by the Bard MBA. My name is Jeff Leatherwood. I'm uh, an alumni of the Bard MBA program. I uh, graduated last May, and I will tell you that the Bard program is a partial residency program. So I, uh, I was able to to keep my job and work as I was going through the program. I'm not going to say it was easy. It was definitely a challenging and rigorous experience, but certainly very, very rewarding at the same time. And the people that I met and the things that I learned were uh, incredibly valuable along the way. And uh, joining me today on this call, we're uh, very delighted to be interviewing Eric Henry, the president of TS Designs. And uh, conducting this uh, call and interview will be Amy Campbell, who is, if I'm not mistaken, a first-year student in the uh, BARD program now. Is that is that correct, Amy? Yep, that's right. So tell me, Amy, tell me two things. How, how did you come to find the BARD program? Um, and what in this first year has been one of your, one of your favorite classes? Yeah, um, so I actually don't remember who first told me about the BARD program. I think it was someone through the Slow Money Network. Uh, I used to be the communications coordinator for Slow Money North Carolina, um, which is also how I got to know Eric. Um, and I was looking for, again, an opportunity to learn more about this field while also still working. So uh, I've left North Carolina and I'm now in Florida and I commute up to New York once a month, which is a bit of a haul, um, but has been working out well. Um, and I guess my my favorite thing thus far, I've just been in the program for a little more than a semester now, just started my second semester, um, just getting to learn from so many people who are actively working in this field. Um, all yeah. of our professors are Many of the professors are leaders in this space already, um, and we get to hear about their real-world experience in addition to just the classroom experience. Definitely. And you brought up a good point about about being in Florida. A couple of my classmates were uh, located in Pennsylvania, and actually one of my classmates was back and forth between Hong Kong. So... Um, you can truly, uh, truly participate in the program from anywhere around the world. So, Amy, I will uh, hand it over to you to introduce <clears throat> Eric and uh, get us started. Yeah, so Eric Henry uh, is the president of TS Designs, which is located in Burlington, North Carolina. And I first met him, I think, back in 2011 because I ordered some shirts from him and then got to know him more while working for So Money North Carolina. Um, He's been a huge leader in the local sustainable business world in North Carolina and now becoming increasingly a leader regionally and nationally as well. Um, he's a very outspoken advocate for B Corp legislation and TS Designs is a certified B Corporation and has been for a very long time. Uh, they totally revamped their business model to be more focused on sustainability and they've been running that way for decades now. So I think it's a great example of how that can be done on a small scale with a small business. Um, and now they're getting a lot of attention nationally for 
what they've done to sort of revamp their supply chain and uh, create this Cotton of the Carolinas line and now also American-grown organic shirts, um, which really focus on bringing textile jobs back to North Carolina and to the United States in general. So I'll let him fill in a little bit more. Eric, can you tell us a little more about your background and the history of TS Design? Sure. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak today. Um, I get an opportunity, I guess, since I've been in the business so long. Um, and I kind of I break our, our, our history down to three chapters. The original uh, business for TS Designs, what would they call high-volume high contract screen printing. My business while I was a student in NC State University in 1978. Um, we grew that business um, to, as I said, to be a high-volume contract screen printer for brands like Tommy, Nike, Gap, Polo. It got us into our fourth location, which we're still in today, um, a 20,000-square-foot building, uh, a little over 100 employees running two, sometimes three shifts. Um, I think you would definitely call it a, um, a successful business. We were profitable. We paid our employees great wages, great benefits. Um, everything was fine. Uh, January 1, 1994, uh, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, was ratified. And within two years, laid off 80 employees. Um, the brands that we were working with could not get overseas quick enough. So the business that we had built, the business that we invested in, in two years was completely destroyed. Not only destroyed our business, destroyed textiles and apparel in this state and in this country. Millions of jobs were lost and thousands of businesses went out. Uh, and that was kind of uh, my first introduction to the whole global uh, trade and basically a shift in the economy where we became much more focused on price. Uh, that was the evolution of the big box store that we know today is the Walmarts and the Targets and things. So anyway, we wanted to stay in the business. We wanted to stay in the area. Uh, we liked what we were doing, but the business we had built had been destroyed. Um, I had a good friend, Sam Moore, who was a uh, textile chemist at Burlington Chemical Company from um, also graduate North Carolina State University. And... Um, he was in the same boat that we were in, a uh, much bigger company, but they basically sold textile uh, chemicals in this area. And he was the one, again, this in the, the mid-'90s, that introduced the idea of a triple bottom-line business, the idea of people, planet, profit, the idea of a, a sustainable business model. And when you talked about that in the mid-'90s, boy, people had a clue what you were talking about, a lot of glazed-over looks. Fortunately maybe slash lucky, uh, we already had those components in place. Um, ever since we've been in business, um, our employees are by far one of our our best and biggest asset. Uh, we've always had things like uh, some type of retirement plan, some type of health care plan. We've always looked at our employees, how they can do better, how can we help them more, and not looked at them as a line item on a balance sheet or income statement to reduce that cost. Um, the other thing, for whatever reason, um, I can't really tag it the one particular thing, but I've always been in from a personal perspective but also a business perspective. So uh, those components of a triple bottom line were already in place, 
but we never had any, you know, our companies that we were doing work with, again, the, the Nikes didn't really care about that. They were just looking for a quality product on time. But those things were already going on. I mean, I, as I look out my window now, I'm looking at trees that we planted over 25 years ago. So now instead of looking at just this grassy knoll, I'm looking at a nice cluster of a forest. Um, so that was the next chapter. So from that, uh, we looked internally and we developed a process called Rehance. Uh, we do T-shirts different than the rest of the industry. We develop a process where we print then garment dye. Uh, so we end up with a print that's uh, in the fabric, not on the fabric, doesn't crack, doesn't peel. You know, we're in the high. The way we print T-shirt to create a, a a higher quality, more sustainable T-shirt. Um, that basically kept us in the game. Uh, that changed our customer base to customers that see the value beyond price. That would be a Whole Foods, an Organic Valley, a Greenpeace, a Cliff Bar. Um, we got products that go into REI. Again, a customer that sees that value beyond price. Uh, eight years ago, we started a brand called Cotton of the Carolinas, and this has kind of got us into our third chapter of our business. Uh, we were becoming more recognized for our brands of T-shirts, and Cotton of Carolinas is our flagship product, which, as I said, we launched eight years ago. And the way we like to describe Cotton of the Carolinas is we go dirt to shirt. We do it in 600 miles. We impact 500 jobs. But what I think is the most important thing that we do, we do it in a completely transparent supply chain. We connect the consumer to the farmer. We developed a tracking system uh, in the shirt by using contrasting thread. You take that contrasting thread, you go to another website we developed called where, W-H-E-R-E-yourclothing.com. You put in those color threads, and then I will introduce you to the farmer, the jenner, the spinner, the knitter, the finisher, the cut and sew and TS designs. I will give you a picture. I will give you a phone number. I will give you a physical address, and we will give you an email. Again, it's the only. They want to know where the food comes from. We want to know where the apparel comes from because I think in the the title of this. Uh, discussion in a TED talk I did a couple years ago at Elon University. 98% of the apparel that we buy today is now made overseas. Um, and we've gotten to this point because the consumer uh, has lost care or focus of where product is made, and uh, the brands are typically trying to maximize their bottom line. So we have destroyed our apparel industry uh, chasing a cheaper price. Um, but I'm, you know, what we have done with Cotton Carolinas, we'll probably produce somewhere around 150,000 T-shirts next year. So there is a growing market that sees this value beyond price. So that's my rambling history lesson, and I'll be sure to answer any question or clarify anything. Okay, great. Okay, great. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to put together the supply chain for the Cotton of the Carolinas line? How difficult was it to find those local ginners and folks to spin the yarn and sew the cloth and everything? Well, the short answer, it was hard as hell. Um, 
the the longer answer is again we started this eight years ago. Most people says, "Why are you doing this?" Because you know um, you can buy all the T-shirts you ever want, one eight hundred, and they're here tomorrow. And people says, "You know what you're doing is extremely difficult." Um, and why would you want to do it? Couple that with you know what happened during this whole globalization. And it's just fortunate where we live and work is North Carolina grows great cotton. What has happened through globalization, we've taken about 80% of that cotton, and now it travels around the world chasing cheap apparel. So the the raw uh, resource was left. Uh, And during that whole time of globalization, they continued to reinvest in their farms and their equipment to produce a better quality product in a more sustainable way. Um, the, they, they didn't miss a beat. So, But then the rest of the infrastructure was in um, uh, different conditions, I guess I should say. Because of globalization, um, the, the Jenners and the Spinners you know they did you know weren't hurt very much but when you get into the knitting the finishing the cut and sew uh there was a lot of damage done a lot of people went out of business a lot of companies had to scale back so um we have had to make some changes in the past 8 years in um either bringing on more suppliers cuz our uh sales have grown and we need the capacity uh, we have actually lost a couple of suppliers either due to quality issues or not a good match or they've, they've gone out of business even during that period of eight years. Uh, but we have a very strong, uh, robust supply chain now uh, that works very well. But it's been difficult because uh, we came to this and we didn't have, you know, all that knowledge. But the great thing, Amy, with the power of cotton in Carolinas, and I was just meeting with the supplier yesterday, is you you able to bring all that knowledge together because a lot happens from you know that that cotton being grown in the field to that finished T-shirt ending up at that business, um, and not one person is going to have all that knowledge. So not only do we make our supply chain transparent to the consumer, our supply chain is made transparent the supply chain itself. So we really depend on everybody their knowledge so we can continue to make improvements in our product, make it in a more efficient way, to make it in a higher quality. And you get to be able to harness all that knowledge instead of one person trying to understand it and dictate it back. We basically allow the supply chain to give us input on how they can do a better job with their part and ultimately make a better product. All right. And a lot of the folks that you mentioned as customers for this product are national brands. Why do you think that they're making the choice to go with you for their shirts? Well, a couple reasons. Um, And again, we've evolved after years. This didn't happen overnight, but utilizing the rehance process, we print the garment dye, utilizing the cotton of Carolinas, which has a completely transparent supply chain. Only competition 
It's not another company. It's it's price. Um, so those companies, like an Organic Valley, for instance, uh, you know, our values are very much in line with their values. And typically in these uh, value-based companies uh, that people are looking beyond price, so are their shareholders or stakeholders. And um, they know the value of walking the talk. So even though Organic Valley, for example, could go out and get a cheaper T-shirt, there's a lot of people who do a cheaper T-shirt, but their stakeholders that see value in Organic Valley expect them to basically keep that same um, walking the talk value throughout how they manage their business. Um, so, you know, for us, it makes it an, at least an easy conversation with customers that are in that triple bottom line um, uh, arena, let's say, that, you know, we already know we're having a conversation beyond price. Uh, so now it's just getting to understand, again, a big part of what we do is education. Um, getting, you because know, a lot of people they don't know, and they say, you know, for your T-shirt, why get it here? So you know, you just have to educate them. You know, it is different. It is a higher quality product, but because of that, and we talk a lot around here about negative external cost. You know, we're looking at what those next ne negative external costs are. We are paying a people a living wage in this country and not using the global marketplace to take advantage of people to pay, you know, much, much cheaper wages. So, um, you know, it just it's that education. And But once you're in that ar ar arena, Amy, of, of those triple bottom line value companies, um, then they understand very quickly. I usually, you know, people I was having a conversation just yesterday, uh, it's again we're in the the print t-shirt business so we get a lot of requests from a lot of people but one of the uh, earlier things I do when I qualify account is I will ask them you know what are they looking for and if they come out and says you know we're looking for the lowest possible price t-shirt that we can get I'll tell them right up front we're just not the best match uh, there are people out there that will do it definitely cheaper from us if you're only focused on price. And again, it's not a question what's right or what's wrong. It's just this is how we are assembled. This is what we believe in. And uh, if you have an interest beyond price, then we can have, at least have a discussion. But if your interest is only prices, again, we're not going to change that Walmart consumer that's focused on price because you got Walmart out there. The same thing happens. There are people out there that are focused on printing Cheap T-shirts, that's not us. So identifying that customer uh, is a very important part of our um, initial conversation evaluating them. Great. Um, and you've talked a lot about the triple bottom line business model. You guys are a certified B Corp through B Lab. When did you decide to take that step and what influenced that decision? I think it was about six years Six years ago, uh, I know we're getting ready to come up for um, evaluation again. And the reason we thought it was important, Amy, and again, I think it goes back six years ago, is we were also doing a certification on our um, printing process. And again, six or seven years ago, this whole green sustainable market was just coming into its own. And um, 
what we were seeing is a lot of people were spinning it for marketing reasons. You know, they wanted to say, I had a green product, I had a natural product, I had a sustainable product. What does that mean? Um, so when we looked at on the landscape of all these different certifications and evaluations, what struck us uh, that we liked about what B Labs was doing was, um, again, an auditing process that evaluated a business based upon, again, this uh, triple bottom line philosophy. Um, but then they had a system in which, you know, you go through an evaluation, uh, you're scored on that evaluation, um, and then if you reach that score, then you are audited on that evaluation. So it's, a, again, a third-party evaluation and not just, you know, sending off some money to some organization to get some green seal on our front door. And, you know, looking back, we were kind of, you know, lucky because we, we got involved with the folks at B-Labs. Uh, I think at that time there might have been 50 businesses involved globally. Now it's like 2,000. It is becoming a, a recognized uh, sustainability um, certification um, process, um, and now they're, you know, this B Corp, I mean, the uh, Benefit Corporation, which unfortunately has still, legislation still not passed in North Carolina, but again, it's just, it's an evolving um, organization, and again, their process of evaluation, um, we just liked, and again, we just have, I had a friend that was uh, in the apparel industry on the West Coast that knew what we were doing here in North Carolina and recommended we look into it, and which we did. And as I said, we hung our hat on it and been very pleased with um, what we've learned from it, the growth from it, and the, the future of it. So we, it's just, again, I think it's important in this environment, there's got to be... Um, something outside the organization that's evaluating because again I can sit here and tell you all kinds of great stories and you know uh, things like that but there's something that's outside that's evaluating uh, what we say we're doing based upon um, triple bottom line values. Eric, this is Jeff. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just, can you speak a little bit to the process of um, going through the the um, B Corp uh, evaluation, and are there any sort of lessons that you learned that that you think might be valuable for other small businesses who would like to to approach it? Oh uh, yes, and you know one thing too that uh, I'll make a comment and then go into your answer question. The B Labs continues to um, make improvements. Uh, the assessment is built so not only you're able to ask you know, questions upon the questions they ask, but they're always interested in input of how they can um, improve the process. Uh, because as I said, you've got to have a, this, this evaluation has to go across all kinds of types of businesses and all different sizes of business. So they've done a good job of continuing to evolve the evaluation to take that into account as it grows. Um, the biggest thing, it, it's a commitment to time. Um, you know, you, you, uh, as I said, we're getting ready for reassessment here and it's, um, even the reassessment, you know, it, it just is a commitment to time. Um, 
What we've done in the past is we have one person that basically uh, does the deep dive um, and you know and knocks out the I guess the low hanging fruit, and then we have uh, multiple meetings with multiple stakeholders within inside TS Designs um, uh, to get it addressed. And there's you know there's there's uh, a lot of work internally, and then there's communication back and forth with the B labs. And Happen again, where you know questions come up. The, the other cool thing that I've always appreciated and why I think it's worth the investment is, in addition to again, anybody can uh, take the assessment. Assessment's free, um, and uh, but it gets you to um, look at things you maybe not have thought of before, uh, or you know, just it just it really. Uh, gets you thinking in a different way, and an exciting thing too. And I, I make a point to go uh, to the what they call the annual champions retreat. I think again, the first year we had it, we might have had 30 people there. Last year it was in Portland, um, 400. And Amy, I don't know if you know, uh, this coming year it's going to be in Durham. Um, so, uh, yep, uh, we're still working. I mean, I think it's. Time in October, but we we worked hard last year to um, lobby to get you know Durham selected, and it was selected in, in the Portland meeting. So yeah, but anyway, what I was going to say is that um, it bring it's a community of these like-minded people of all. So now you have a lot of friends and mentors that you can reach out to. You know, uh, as individual business, not only as customers, a lot of uh, B Corps are customers of TS Designs, which has been a you know great source for new business. But these are people that have the same value that says, well, how do you address you know this particular uh, social issue, environmental issue? It just is a again a like-minded community. Those um, I guess additional benefits that we really appreciate being a part of this growing community, and it's um, but it's a it is a commitment of time, um, and it's not not one of these things you're just going to knock off, you know, you know, get done one afternoon. But I definitely have believe it's one of the best investments we've made in um, how we believe a company should be run in an organization that we really like to be. We're glad we're honored and glad to be a part of. Um, I know because I've visited your facility before that you guys have a lot of other stuff going on um, just on the campus. Can you talk a little bit about how some of those things started, like your garden and other initiatives that you've um, implemented there, as well as how it's been received? Sure, Amy. You know, a couple of things I like to say is um, sustainability is a journey, not a destination. Um, we're continuing to learn. We continue to improve, um, and sometimes it's small things that you do over a long period of time have the biggest impact. And we continue to learn. Um, you know, when we built this building, I think 28 years ago, and it was best practice at the time. We had an architect and all that, but 28 years ago, you didn't know where your, you know, where your energy sources came from because it's such a small part of your. You didn't think about it. Um, so we're doing things to green up the building. You know, I'm sitting in an office now that 
uh, we just remodeled to a new conference room. And as we remodeled, um, when they built the building, uh, none of the windows would open. You know, when they built it 28 years ago, it says, well, we'll just we'll handle that with a you know a fancy HVAC heating and air conditioning system. Um, and we well, that's what everybody was doing 28 years ago, and we didn't realize. Uh, you know, again, the, the true cost of our energy and the benefits of having a window that opens. So now I'm sitting in an office that has, not that I'm going to open it today, but it does have its benefits uh, throughout the year having windows that open. Um, our our campus, our grounds, we're about four acres. Um, when we bought it, we had one tree on the property. Uh, now we have hundreds of uh, we have taken a part of our property and committed to agriculture. You know, just like we have a broken manufacturing system, we have a broken food system. We want to connect our employees. We have about 24 employees now. We want to connect them to a local and healthy food system. Uh, I realize I had some employees that, A, don't have access to um, garden space. I had some employees that didn't even know what, you know, things like So uh, we have a large-scale garden. Uh, we we had chickens. Uh, unfortunately, we got recently taken in by into the city limits. Our city doesn't allow chickens. We're hoping to get that ordinance changed sooner, not later. So those chickens have moved out to my farm. So I just bring the eggs back into the employees. So uh, they do have, still have access to uh, local free-range eggs. Uh, we have we produce honey here. Um, I think last year, like six gallons of honey. We're getting ready to definitely expand our, um, we want to come up a bee sanctuary where we can basically create a lot more hives, a lot more wildflowers. So we have that going on. Um, we have two um, solar systems. We have a small tracking we put in about 15 years ago, two point some kW. We have a much bigger array on the roof, about 8.3. Uh, I like to, I guess, Side note on the, uh, the the solar array we have on our roof, when we put that in in 2008, the original plan was to do uh, one array a year. We would do it for about eight or nine years, and then by that point in time, we'd be energy independent from the standpoint of electricity. We all know what happens in 2009 with the recession or depression, whatever you want to call it, uh, lost about 25% of our business. Um, so, you know, Part of a triple bottom line is staying in business, so we had to uh, forego that idea of, of putting those arrays on the roof. We still would like to do that, uh, but what we've concentrated on is more lower hanging fruit, uh, improving the lighting efficiency in our plant, reducing lighting where it's not needed. Uh, that in itself, I think we knocked out about you know 25 percent of our our energy towards lighting has been improved through technology or just managing the usage of it or not using it at all um uh godly i mean it just it's it's on and on. i think you know it's interesting when people come visit ts design this idea of you know triple bottom line philosophy for for so long is kind of built into our dna and how we operate as a business because i have uh, of our 24 employees i have six employees that have been here over 20 years so they've been through this whole journey. They've seen the with benefits of, of this triple bottom line philosophy is what's kept us in business. I'll never forget when we 
again, going back, I don't know, 20 years ago when we stopped mowing our grass and planting trees, it was a period of time where our, our grass was taller than our trees. So, that you know, we're in a little industrial park here. So lawn maintenance, people have been quit or we had fired them or whatever. And I said, no, this is how grass looks like before we had gas. So, um, you know, it just it, it gets, it's, um, it takes time for people to change their uh, perception and idea. And, you know, we're, we are this kind of unusual-looking business in an industrial park where we, as I said, we used to have chickens and other we've had consumed. But, you know, I look at all this, you know, business um, is like a system. I mean, it's it, it's not just a, a a single entity. It's how we connect with the, the system of our community, the system of nature, the system of employees. So we're just a part of the system. So embracing that and connecting with it, I think, is so much more valuable than just trying to be, um, you know, a standalone understanding of value. So again, uh, we have a lot of people that come out to TS Designs. We have a uh, what we call an open house on the tenth of every month, so people can just drop by in the afternoon and we can show them, you know, all the different things we do, and then continue to learn to do new things and change. And I said the big thing we're working on now is I'm looking at a a tremendous pile of leaves dropped off by the city. We then take our cardboard that we don't use. Instead of recycling, we will lay the cardboard down, put the leaves on top, and we've, we've, we're taking wide or large areas of uh, grasslands and um, planting native wildflowers so we can expand our uh, bee sanctuary here. So it's a continued evolution and journey to be a, a more sustainable company. Awesome. Um, I know also that in the last couple of years you've been instrumental in creating two co-ops in the area. Can you talk a little bit about how TS Designs and your leadership um, has influenced the surrounding community? Sure. Um, I've lived now in Alamance County for 55 years, been in business 38, so I'm pretty much say this is a community. Um, I'm putting my life in, and you know, one thing I guess I've learned in business and I've learned in life is happiness is derived by the success not only of yourself but in the community in which you live in. Um, so I've, you know, again, my introduction to seeing how my business was destroyed uh, by NAFTA, uh, I wanted to start creating things in our community that are part of our community. Um, and I'm a big, big fan of co-ops. Um, so uh, we have a co-op in uh, about 30 miles away, Weaver Street Market, which has been around for 20, over 25 years. And my wife and I have been a member of that co-op for probably 20 of those 25 years. Um, but I really like the idea of, of the co-op model, uh, creating a business that's for the community, owned by the community. So essentially, we took the uh, Weaver Street Cooperative Grocery Store model. Uh, this was probably, with the idea, I think started in 2006, 2007, we became a legal co-op uh, entity. Uh, we've been open. Uh, Company Shops is the name of our co-op in Burlington. Um, it's a 10,000-square-foot building in downtown Burlington. We chose downtown Burlington. Um, that's the uh, largest uh, town in our county is about 50-some thousand people. 
Uh, that downtown, um, like a lot of small downtowns, had been devastated by globalization and you know strip shopping centers and malls and things like that. So we wanted to revitalize our downtown. We wanted to create a business to show people this is a business that's you know, owned by us and not by me. Uh, we have now over 3,000 owners. Um, so as I said, that's been open a little over four years. We have taken that same model and created Burlington Beer Works, which is going to be a brew on premise slash restaurant. We have just recently secured that location, downtown Burlington, a 5,700 square foot, three-story building. Um, if all goes well, that will open sometime about a year from now. Again, um, creating a business uh, that's owned and for our community. We're getting ready to start the next venture, which is this whole co-working phenomena that is just, I've been so impressed and exciting in, in my travels. I go to a lot of these. It's a great place to work. It's a great place to connect. Um, so we're hoping to, uh, that'll be the next venture for our, uh, our co-op is to create a co-work. The other benefit that we have is Elon University is right down the road, about 5,500 students. So hopefully they'll be a critical, they've been a, a, a key part in our other co-op ventures, but I think they'll be a very, very key partner in this uh, co-working space. Um, and then even the evolution of TS Designs. Uh, in August, uh, I bought out my business partner of 38 years. Uh, Tom, uh, also a graduate of NC State, that's where TS Designs comes from, his name, Tom Sineath. He's been wanting to retire for a few years. Uh, we finally negotiated that deal, and as of the end of August, um, that happened. But part of my strategy uh, in doing that is, again, I'm not going to be living forever. I enjoy what I'm doing, but we've started the next chapter of that and uh, hoping uh, that TS Designs will become a um, a, a uh, a co-op basically where the owners were own it. I mean, I mean the employees, excuse me, employees, uh, employee-owned co-op um, is the, the, the next step and we're, hopefully that will lease from a strategy uh, and plan will happen in this year and then we'll start the transition from uh, me being the 100% sole owner of TS Designs where I will just become a member of this uh, uh, company-owned co-op. So I'm a big, big fan, as you can tell, into the whole co-op environment. And then the um, with the worker-owned co-op is just the next evolution, that, and that's the, uh, the, uh, the direction that we're going with TS Designs. Great. Uh, Jeff, can I jump in? It's even Gustin. Yeah, go right ahead. Great. Eric, I'm, I'm even Gustin. I'm director of the BART MBA program. And... Uh, I just want to thank you for joining us. Quite inspirational uh, story. I was actually just down at Elon College. Uh, I was giving a talk down there just a month ago, I guess. A beautiful part of the world. Um, and um, my my initial question to you was, you know, you're in sort of this uh, niche market in some sense where you've got people who are willing to look beyond price. Um, and so one one half of the question is, you know, is that a growing market? I mean, is are there, or, or is this really just, you know, a small place to start? Uh, but then it seems like your growth strategy seems to be more, in terms of spreading the triple bottom line philosophy, is 
less kind of grow the t-shirt business than it is about figure out ways to do local economic development, sort of supporting the same principles, um, which is pretty cool. So I don't know if you want to comment on those two directions for how you how you scale this stuff up. Well, because there's an interest in what we're doing um, and how we're doing it, uh, our business is growing. Uh, there's also an interest in this uh the terminology is done around a lot is reshoring, manufacturing coming back here. And I tell you, it's not all going to come back. But we need to balance the scales. Back to what I was talking about earlier, 98% of our apparel made overseas. We're not going to all bring it back, but let's bring some of it back. So you have that that going on. I, I find with the younger people, they're more interested in um, the story, the process, and being connected to something beyond just the price. Um but the, you know the thing that will be interesting. I was in, uh, working with a uh, student this morning from NC State. Is the apparel industry as we know it today uh, is just not sustainable. Um, and you know, I think if you look at some information, but after petroleum, it's the number two uh, polluting industry in the world. Not to mention what it does from a, a social aspe- aspect of. Um, you know, uh, not paying living wages and things like that. So I tell people, I think the apparel brands that we see today will not be the apparel brands of the future because apparel brands today, again, the Nikes, the Tommies, the Gaps, the Polos, you know, they have essentially made billions of dollars on the backs of unsustainable cheap labor. Um, And at some point in time, that's got to end. Uh, it's got to end for the sake of the planet. It's got to end for the sake of the, the care of the people. But what happens is you got the, the the challenge of, and right up the road is a perfect example, is you got Vanity Fair, which is the largest apparel-branded corporation in the world. Companies like North Face and Timberland and Vans and Wrangler. And, I mean, just, it's amazing uh, operation billions of dollars, publicly traded, corporate jets, fancy offices. But their whole business model is based upon creating a brand that can be produced in a very cheap supply chain. And when you see brands like that trying to, or even talking about making it in a more sustainable way, making it in a more domestic apparel supply chain, the the um, margin or cost difference, how you want to look at it, between making that product overseas and even in a place that say that you would qualify as a fair wage, a fair wage in a developing country is a lot different than fair wage in this country. So there's so much difference in cost between making it in that global market compared to making it in the domestic market. Their whole corporate strategy will not work. So, you know, I'm probably not going to be round enough to see how that's going to evolve. But, I, you know, I think the apparel brands of the future will not be the apparel brands of the day. I just don't see how they can continue. I mean, again, that's how the Nikes and things um, are able to make the money they make and pay the uh, corporate endorsements or the athletic endorsement do is they have a supply chain that makes it so much cheaper uh, and they're trying to clean up. They're trying to make their supply chain more sustainable. But they, 
they the the big thing that they you know the uh, 800 pound elephant in the room is a label perspective. They can't ever come back here, the way they're set up. So I think um, uh, what we're doing is a small niche. It is a growing niche. Uh, it's definitely keeping us in business. Uh, but I think too, as you're saying earlier, the uh, what makes us, you know, unique, and what you know, the place to be is the things that we're doing within our community. So uh, to me, I think it's looking within a lot of times and building out a, a better model within instead of trying to always grow outside, make the investment inside the community, create some uniqueness. So um, I encourage you next time you come to Elon uh, to add to that. And I think Amy, I know, I'm sure Amy's been there. We have this community called Saxabahal, S-A-X-A-P-A-H-A-W. Uh, that's a perfect example of how of a, a small mill community that was devastated by globalization has totally reinvented, reinvented themselves. Excuse me, um, as this local sustainable food mecca that's been written up in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, um, and it's all based upon this fantastic local food, but it's unique to our community, um, and it's things like that that I least drive me to do what we do and the, the business we are and the product we make is is I'm not interested in the cookie cutter. I'm interested in, you know, the you know, taking advantage in the uniqueness in the community in which I live. And that's a, a rambling answer to did I answer your question? Yeah, that was great. Thanks. Well we're sort of um uh, rapidly be approaching the one o'clock hour soon. Um, at this moment, if there's anybody else out there who has a question that that they'd like to um, ask, just go ahead and, and uh, pop in. Um, I had I have so many questions. Uh, I had to narrow down my list a little bit. I'm curious, Eric, do your employees? Uh, it's hard to measure. The impact, the sense that your employees. You, you're breaking up there a little bit. Can you repeat the question? Oh, sure. Sorry about that. Um, do you get the sense that your employees feel pride in working for an organization that that is is um, representing the triple bottom line? Yes, uh, but keep in mind we have 24 employees and. Um, I guess you compare it somewhat like religion. You know, some of it are uh, a lot more vested uh, than others. You know, and like religion, we're not going to jam it down your throat. We're going to, you know, uh, we have we we believe in what we believe in. Uh, we share that. Uh, we have like you know weekly meetings um, and constantly have different you know staff and departmental meetings. So it's very obvious uh, the direction the company's going to go. Um, but I think too, um, especially the employees that have been here twenty plus years and seen all the uh, the challenge we've been through business, understands um, it's the product that we make and the customers that we have that allows us to be the business that we are. So, um, to all different levels, um, yeah, I think you know some of our companies love. You know, we have we 
we serve fair trade organic coffee. And once you introduce employees how good the coffee was, I mean they, they I mean they couldn't understand why we didn't switch years ago. Um, so I mean I think they all look at it at, at different levels, but I think they all agree at some level, you know, the way we're positioned as a business, um, not only has it benefited, you know, um them here, I think all our employees are members of our co-op, shop at different levels, are called grocery store, but I also engage them. So I, I do, a, I try to do a very good job of uh, bringing our customers and the other things that we're doing outside TS Designs inside the business and, you know, having cookouts and lunches and uh, stuff like that. So um, we definitely make them very aware of the 24, you know, they all embrace it at different levels. But I think it's definitely a uh, uh, advantage as a hiring tool because there's a lot of people that um, would like to work here. And when openings are available, it's it's easy to get people, um, uh, good applicants to apply for jobs here. So it's definitely made as a, a, a great recruiting tool. Great, thank you. Anybody else? Well, I certainly have more. If uh, if not, or Amy, do you um, do you want to hop back in? Yeah. So my last question was just to ask you a little bit about how you got involved with national advocacy. Um, for sustainable businesses, both through the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies and the American Sustainable Business Council? Well, I mean, Amy, on, on both of those, because of my interest in a, a local level and how we run a business, there's also some national uh, organizations that you just mentioned um, that uh, I became associated with. And matter of fact, last year I became on the board of Bali Business Alliance for Local Living Economies. Uh, and it's, again, an organization that has those same beliefs of uh, developing the assets within a community uh, to basically benefit that community and not just um, you know, benefit someone else. So it's just it's association with uh, like-minded people, the, the Carol Hewitts of, of the slow money. And, I mean, just uh, I do the way we're structured, TF Designs, um, I'm uh, pretty much out of the day-to-day -day operation, um, and part, probably half the time I'm traveling somewhere, uh, seeing customers or speaking to groups or, again, serving on these boards. Um, so it's just an extension of, of what I believe uh, how a business should be run and how you should connect with community, how I've got associated with these organizations. So, again, it's, it allows me, too, to connect with a group of people of, of like-minded values so I can learn from them of what they've done and help us solve problems. So it just gives me a, a larger platform to continue to expand what we're doing here at TS Designs or what we're doing with inside our community. Anybody else? So I have kind of a logistical question that might be a can of worms to, to open up um, five minutes before the end of the call. Um, I'm curious about how you analyze the impact of your supply chain 
um, you know, what are the, what are the, what are the metrics that you use and do you get granular enough to know, you know, your, your different lines, um, you know, is how does the, how does the, the cloud organic line compare to the, um, the line that's made with the uh, recycled plastics in terms of impact? Yes, we have, um, I didn't really get into that, but we actually have three flagship brands. Uh, Cotton of Carolinas is our most recognized where we do the highest volume. Uh, we also have another brand called American Soil Organic, and then we also have Cloud Organic. Um, due to, um, you know, different things in the marketplace, um, we, we can't create the, the perfect T-shirt. We're having to use within the assets that we've got available. Cotton of Carolinas was built upon, you know, how do we make uh, the most transparent, the most local T-shirt. Um, that particular T-shirt uses uh, conventional GMO cotton. Uh, we have struggled to grow organic cotton in North Carolina. Uh, we were successful in just doing basically one year. So, um, we had to give up on that idea. We're now working with NC State to hopefully come up with a way to do that. But in the meantime, for those people who want it, we're bringing uh, organic cotton in from from Texas and do all the manufacturing in the states. Uh, that's the American Soil Organic. And then Cloud Organic addresses those customers that want a lighter weight cotton that we can't achieve with the varieties of cotton grown in this country, organic or conventional. So in that case, we're bringing a yarn, a certified organic yarn. Right now, it's coming from India. <clears throat> All the manufacturing is done in the USA. Cool thing with that one, the cut and sew is done right up the road from us in Greensboro at Industry of the Blind. So, you know, each of these three brands have uh, unique attributes um, and characteristics. And again, our job is to say, well, here they are and let the customer um, you know, pick from that. But one thing before I forget, because it, it happened again this week, and the thing I think is so valuable what we do and so important is this transparent supply chain. Uh, not only transparent within the from the consumer, but transparent with the supply chain. We had another customer coming this week that I've been talking to for a couple months out of Brooklyn, New York, and I was just walking down the hall Wednesday. And uh, I got introduced to these two guys. I don't know who they were. Come to find out with this guy and that I've been talking to from Brooklyn. Well, he had actually been in the Carolinas for the past two days visiting our supply chain. This has happened multiple times. People will show up in my office from all over the country, and then we start talking to them. For the last couple of days, they've been out seeing our farmer, our jenner, our cut and sew. And that's what we love to see happen. They don't have to ask my permission. They don't have to, you know, they just go to the website. There's the context. There's information. We won't anybody do that, but now these people that see interest in business with us are taking it upon themselves and they go see these people. And I just think that's the power of transparency and what we need to have more in our you know, the marketplace, our food system, our political industry. Again, I'm not saying what we're doing is right, what's wrong. But there's no questions, um, and that in itself, making your supply chain transparent, some way, you know, self-regulates itself. You know, it's the kind of Airbnb or the Uber model where the consumer has access and the consumer can see, and if they don't see things they like, not only they can tell me, they can tell anybody that 
you know, on the Internet. Um, so the, the building of the transparent model, and the benefit that we have being cotton grown here is it's local. So the, you can jump in the car and you can go see somebody, you can sit in a room, and you can not only worry about trying to exchange emails, you can have a face-to-face -face conversation. And that's still so important today in business to be able to have that relationship. What is the challenge of growing organic cotton in North Carolina versus in Texas or somewhere else? Weeds. Uh, the, the problem you have in the Carolinas is we have a climate of, you know, wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry. Uh, weeds grow fast. Cotton is slow germinating. Um, so if the weeds get ahead of the cotton plant in the early stages, game over because the weeds will overpower. Now, once the cotton is... Um, you know, the first year we had, we had cotton plants that were six and eight feet tall. So once, the, I mean, the shade pressure would do it. So uh, compared to Texas, now climate change is throwing wrinkles in everybody's plan, but typically Texas has a wet season now in the winter and a dry season in the summer. So uh, it's more predictable and a lot easier to manage the weeds. We're working with NC State. We just finished year one of a three-year trial looking at developing some type of cover crop where a cover crop will be planted in the fall. Um, come in the spring, they would roll it down. Uh, then you would slit open that uh, mulch bed. You would plant in the, um, the cotton seed. So the mulch bed would suppress the weeds long enough until the cotton plant gets up. So um, got pretty good results the first year. We got a couple more years trial. So our, again, our long-term vision is uh, organic cotton but then the new thing that I'm very, very excited about is in the fall, our state legislator passed the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Bill. So uh, we've got a few years before our, our farmers will be growing hemp, but we're already putting the group together to make sure not only we're able to grow hemp here, that we keep the food and the fiber in this state to produce product and jobs. So, um, you know, hemp's not going to replace cotton, but it's going to be a heck of a great asset to go along with it. So, again, we're years down the road before that. It's going to be a viable product, but I'm, that's on my personal bucket list is um, hemp apparel with, with uh, fiber grown in the, uh, North Carolina. That sounds very exciting. I will keep, uh, I'll keep a watch out for that. Amy, before I forget, do people know how to access me if they have other questions? Uh, yeah, so if you go to the BARD MBA website and under public programs, go to Sustainable Business Fridays, you, there are links to the TS Designs website as well as Eric's bio, uh, which I believe uh, his email address is eric at tsdesigns.com. Um, he's also on LinkedIn and they've, TS Designs has a very active Facebook and Twitter presence and everything. So. Definitely connect with them if you want to learn more. Absolutely. This has been a very enlightening and um, <clears throat> inspirational, entertaining hour. A great way to go into the weekend. And I encourage everybody right now to take um, Eric's apparel challenge, uh, which I think was from your, your TED Talk, where you said, tell me right now where the shirt you're wearing was made. And uh, I'm not sure I could do it. So, and I loved earlier when you said that sustainability is a journey and not a destination. And I think that that is absolutely true. 
And so our next Sustainability Friday, we will continue our sustainability journey. We're going to be talking to Pierre Ferrari from Heifer International. So that should also be a great call. And uh, Eric, thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and I hope you have a, a great weekend. All right, you too. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Amy. Talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. Bye.